Um, there are people, I should say there were also people in this church that denied, they didn't deny that there would be life after death. They denied the true resurrection um, and what would happen in the resurrection. Um, but just to recap quickly, last week, Paul uh, kind of started off this letter and he started off talking about just the gospel. Like, hey, when I came to you guys, I preached the gospel, the whole gospel. Jesus died and on the third day was raised. I preached that and you believed it. But sometimes people believe stuff and they also believe weird things on the back end of stuff. Um, I think I told you guys this. I don't know if it, it's been a long time. I was playing golf with a guy who told me he was a Christian. They said he went to a Christian church, but he also told me that Joseph Smith was a martyr. And I was like, how's that? Like, how do we, how do we lift up this cult leader from 200 years ago and put him anywhere near, anywhere near God, anywhere near Christ? His, his words outside of plagiarizing, plagiarizing the New Testament, um, they're heresy, I mean, that is, Joseph Smith's words are heresy. It just is what it is. Um, there's no other way to put it. But he believed everything else. But he also believed this too. And I was like, I don't understand how a person can believe that. Like, if you're truly a scripture-only person, you, Genesis to Revelation, there's no mention, believe it or not, of John Calvin. There's no mention of Joseph Arminius. There's no mention of Joseph Smith in the scriptures and Muhammad and, and go on and on and on. There's no mention. We take the scriptures. We don't add to them. We don't go with a third testament, a fourth, a fifth. We don't do that. The evidence of the uh, resurrection and the witnesses, he talked about that. Hey, I saw him. He appeared to the apostles. He appeared to Peter and the apostles. He appeared to 500 plus people at one point in time. Uh, James, who converted likely out of seeing Christ resurrected. I mean, you guys all believe this. I told you this and you, you took it at face value. So we need to straighten some more stuff out. So I'm going to read 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. I want to stop there. Paul's saying the unthinkable. We live in a time where people tape you and then they edit out what they don't want you to be seen saying, Right? So when I read some of these verses and I expound on them, you could take something out and go, Dan doesn't even believe the resurrection. Dan thinks our faith is, is worthless. Dan thinks that all Christians should be pitied. I'm not big enough deal for that to actually happen to me, but it, sh it could happen to somebody. And then you'd, then you'd realize if you went on the church website and you watched the whole entire sermon that they were just trying to mess with um, somebody who said they were a Christian pastor or a teacher. But Paul here is saying the unthinkable, Right? Verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Whoa. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did. We testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact, the dead do not rise. Or if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Scary stuff. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're in hell. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now, obviously, Paul's 
It's like the takeaway clothes and sales, right? You try to tell somebody something and then they start fidgeting with numbers or I don't know about this or that. And then you take it away. And what does that do? It usually makes them want it more. Usually makes them go, oh, hold on a second. Well, maybe, you know, maybe this insurance policy and all these extra things aren't for you. Well, hold on a second. Take something away. People are interested. If you tell them they need something, they're not interested. <laughs> Just the way it is with people. But Paul here is saying the unthinkable because he's trying to set up what he said, what he says next, which is you can't have Christianity without the resurrection. You cannot have it. Now you guys think a lot of weird stuff. Greek culture influenced Corinth. I I literally just lost this now. It never ends. This is, this is a record though. This is a record for Midtown. We have technical dysfunction. This is a record uh, of all of it. So can't, okay, good. Um, so Greek culture influenced Corinth. Obviously, the Corinthians are in Greek culture. Most Greeks did not believe that people's bodies would be resurrected after death. That's, that was a common thing. They did not believe that. They thought the afterlife was for the soul. Now you can understand why culture might think this, but for the people of God, for the people of, that Paul started this church, he started off on the right foot, the right foundation, why they would believe this or why they would gravitate toward worldly thought worldly philosophies or worldly beliefs, that was a real problem for the church. And so Paul's going, it's so much of a problem that if what you guys are believing is true, we don't have a faith. We don't have a Christ. We don't have a savior. And so all the preaching is futile. You're all still in your sins. Those that have already fallen asleep in your church that died Christians, apparently they're in hell based on what you're saying. Because what we talked about last week, Jesus dying on the cross was not good unless he resurrected from the dead. He was the only one that resurrected from the dead because he was the only one that died sinless. Now, God put sin on him, but just killing God's son, that's the worst thing in the world. That's why we have Good Friday services that are really somber and really sad. They really, they kind of have this like, oh man, it's because you're supposed to imagine not only what Christ was feeling and going through, but you're supposed to realize that your stuff is what sent him there. Once again, if he just died and stayed dead, like every other person that had ever lived, that's a problem. And so he's saying, hey, guys, you start believing this Greek thought. You start believing all these other things. You may as well throw it all out. When you have something as important as the resurrection, you can't have people in the church trying to debate this. You can't have people in the church trying to debate with Christians in the church. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how great debate in the church it really is anymore. Um, there used to be back in the day, very civil disagreeing, um, philosophies of, Hey, I know you, you Baptists believe this, us Lutherans, we believe this, we do Lent, you guys don't do it. You know, I don't know why you don't, I wish you would, but you know, I still love you. You're my brother. Nowadays, it's like the political influence of the country has leaked into the church. And so we throw, if somebody doesn't believe in something that we as a denomination hold to, which is not. Uh, which is not a salvation issue, we go, oh, I'm not, I can't even talk to them. They go to church on Saturday. I can't even talk to them. It's like, you can go, ch- you can go do church on Tuesday. Jesus doesn't care. Church on Thursday, church on, I mean, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, when it started out, they had church seven days a week. They had Bible studies every single night of the week. And a lot of them were full, even though Chuck didn't necessarily teach all of those in the seventies. Um, I mean, there was tons of people there. So Paul's saying, if Christ isn't risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is worthless. So you may as well just move on. It sets up this like kind of decision where you have to go, hey, 
It's all or nothing. Like, well, no, 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 no. I just, I believe, I, I believe Jesus. What, what do you believe? You believe he existed? You believe he has a name? You believe in some things he did? You have to believe what he said. And what he said was, in three days I will rise again. The scriptures foretold it. He told the disciples. And so you have to take, that's how serious it is. Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is kind of a cool thing, the first fruits. Um, I'll probably mess up some of the dates, but Jesus died Passover weekend. Okay. And the, the festival of the first fruits would have been after that. And the the first fruits are the best of the harvest, the best grains given to God, sacrificed, tithed to God, if you will. Because why should we give grain to God? Well, we've already, the Passover lamb is already taken care of, the atonement. So this is a gratitude thing. And Jesus did this. Jesus gave us this ability. Um, he is the first fruits. Jesus is the first and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Um, and he explains, for as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. In Christ, not all people, people in Christ. Now, most of us know, and you don't have to spend a, a ton of time on Adam. We know that Adam sinned and brought sin into the world. We know that every, every human being, no matter what color they are, what country they're from, we all go back to the beginning when God made man. When God made woman, we all go back there. So we all have in our DNA sin. We have it in our, in our, it's in our bloodstream. It's in our DNA. It's in our, um, it's in our members. And so the first man brought sin in this man, Jesus brought us life. Like I said, as in Adam, all will die. Those in Christ shall be made alive, but each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. So Jesus modeled things first and asked us to, to follow after his model, asked us to, to follow his example. And so he willingly died. And so he asks us to willingly give up our lives, give up our wills, give up our the things we want for what God would want first, to put God in that first position. So um, Christ was raised. One day all, Christ, all true Christians will be raised, not those that just say they're Christians. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Um, some people, when you say Satan runs the world, they get offended by that, Christians. And they go, oh man, I don't know if that's true. Um, because there, there is a theology here, and, and I believe it's called preterism, that the kingdom of God was right after that. And so what Jesus was talking about was not a faraway thing. It was right after, it would start right after he ascended into heaven. Um, and there's so much, I can't even, we'll get into preterism at some point, but I don't have time to unpack that. But there's this idea that, um, that this is the kingdom. And I'm like, if this is the kingdom, it doesn't bode really well for the influence of Christ in our, in our land, in our world. I think it's very obvious that um, the New Testament is very crystal clear about Satan, the prince of the power of the air, like the air around us is influenced by the demonic realm. Very much so. You leave people alone in society. They don't get better. They don't become more like Christ without outside influence. That would be the Holy Spirit of God that spoke and the universe exists. That influence helps you and I, that influence raises our dead spirit. So without it, 
people get worse. People kill one another. People do horrible, horrible things. And you guys know, you don't have to, you don't have to imagine what it would be like to think that that's true. It is true. It's very obvious outside of these walls, what you go out into when you leave. But the end will come. Jesus, the Savior, will accomplish all things. All satanic power and influence will be over with. And Jesus will hand the Father a finished product. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his, under his feet. The enemies are run, running around influencing people. In a lot of ways, they seem like they're really winning uh, in the hearts of Americans right now. It seems like that influence is really, really, really strong. And it is. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's the final enemy. It's a big time enemy. It's a curse. This, this earth is cursed. This world is cursed. And death comes to all people. And uh, I was listening to some guy talk about this and he goes, well, hold on a second. What about Lazarus? And what about, you know, these guys that were raised from the dead? They eventually died, though. They were dead. They came back. They were probably bummed that they had come back. Like Lazarus was probably pulled out of, out of paradise. He's like, I got to go back. Why? Um, but Lazarus did uh, die at some point in time. Jesus died and was resurrected three days later in a glorified body, which we'll get to in a second. He says, um, that last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be uh, all in all. The father will always be the father. The son will always be the son. The Holy Spirit will always be the Holy Spirit. It's the order of the Godhead. It does not change. And there's no conflict here. When you have this type of a thing, let's say you have a company. There's three people that are running the company. And then 10 years down the road, it's not going so good. Two guys are kind of against one or they're all kind of like, I, I see our company going left. And one goes, I see our company maintaining. And one goes, I see our company going left. Well, that's not going to work. The way the Godhead works, Jesus is not the lesser. The Spirit of God isn't like, well, the Spirit of God, nobody really prays to him. He only gets like 10% of the prayers. So he's kind of like, uh, he's like the 10% guy. And who knows, maybe Jesus is 30, maybe the Father's the rest. No, it's not like that. But there are roles, there were responsibilities. The Lord Jesus said, I will go do this. I will step down into humanity and save them. They cannot save themselves. All they do is mess things up. It's true. But all in all, Jesus glorifies the Father. The Spirit of God glorifies Christ. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But he will hand things over. Jesus will, Jesus is doing all the hard work down here, did do all the hard work down here. The Spirit of God is trying to influence people and, and get people, convicting them of sin and getting them to turn their hearts toward God. And God is up there holding all things and not forgetting what, wrongs have been done because they will all be righted one day. But there is no conflict in this Godhead. There is no issue. There is no, oh, Jesus kind of got the bum rap. He got the shaft under the stick. No, there's, that's not the way it is. But there are people who go, well, see, Jesus is lower. And some of the Jehovah's Witnesses will point to passages like this and they go, well, yeah, Jesus is this and this and this, but he's not creator Yahweh. He's not Jehovah. It's like there is no conflict here if you read the entire context. If you read, if you read the words of Christ, if you watch Christ's life, you know that he says no one's good but the Father. I mean, Jesus is always praising his Father. 
and always yielding to what the Spirit would have him do that day in ministry. Uh, verse 29 through 34, this is where we'll, we'll wrap it. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, trying to pick on Mormons, but Mormons do this thing, okay? A lot of people read this verse and they go, oh, that doesn't belong. That's, I don't even understand. They just skip, go to the next one. Mormons will go through an actual baptism for dead relatives. They will go through this process. You can't do this. People have till they take their last breath to choose Christ. That's just the way it is. I know there's the prayer of the saints. I know some of the, there's, there's other denominations and other cults and other religions, if you will, that will do all sorts of stuff. Derivatives. Baptism in general is in more than just create uh, Christianity. What it's used for is, is Christianity stands alone. It's me dying to myself and identifying with Christ's death and resurrection. That's why we go through the process of, of dunking people down into. It's like you're going down into the grave. You, the flesh, are dying, and you're giving um, the Lord Christ your life so you can live your life with Christ's life, with the influence of the Holy Spirit. But this idea of baptizing uh, for the dead, um, that is not possible. You, you can't, there's no, I mean, you can go do it. It's not going to do anything for the person that's passed on. So, Paul, I mean, another thing. You have to believe if he put this in there, there, some of this thought was leaking into the church. And once again, Jesus has talked about this in the past. When the church gets big, and the, the universal church of Christ is, is millions and millions of people. Who knows what the number is? Could it be a billion? Could it be two billion? I mean, Wikipedia will tell you that it is. I don't believe that it is. But Wikipedia will tell you that over two billion people, Christianity is number one in the whole world. It might be number one in the whole world in terms of name recognition, but it is not the most followed religion in terms of their numbers. Once again, I don't know where it ranks, but I know that 80% or 70%, depending on which poll, of Americans say they're Christians. That's a shockingly high number. Um, and I think, I think anybody that really looks into the scriptures could go, oh, I think that number's a little off, like 10 times too much off. However... There are things that leak into good churches. People go out into the world and they have friends and they have a community with people. They go to work, they, they play golf with people or they play sports with people or whatever. And, and over time, a relationship where somebody's like, man, they're so close and they believe this thing. It's not even really that weird. And I'm starting to think maybe it could be true. And when you drift from true scripture, you drift from this idea of, this is a narrow way. This is a black and a white. It's not hard to understand what God's saying. It's not hard to see if you really want to be saved. It's not hard to figure out how to get there. It is not. It is not like, well, it's sort of gray. Christianity's elusive. It is not. It is very not elusive. But there are things that get leaked in. There are weird beliefs. There are weird teachings. And people go, um, yeah, I think that that could be true. There are some people I have heard that call themselves Christians that believe a purgatory. Well, why would you believe in a purgatory if you don't see it in scriptures? Because you want to believe in that kind of second chance or that, well, if I miss it, then there is another shot. There is not another shot. According to the scriptures, there's this and that's it for the, for the chance to accept Christ. So he goes, hey, why then are they baptized for the dead? 
You know, you can't do this. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? If all these things are true, if you can do this, baptize people way after the fact, hey, make sure, hand your name out to like a thousand people, hey, baptize for me after I die. But I'm going to go live, I'm going to go live a crazy life. Why do they do it? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ, I die daily. Translation, life is rough for the Apostle Paul from a comfort perspective. From, from hey, you know what? How easy do you have it, Paul? Uh, I die daily. I give up myself. I, it's not me that lives, it's Christ in me daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with the beasts... At Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And that's, you know, that's a passage from Isaiah. But that first part is interesting. Where does where do we get this, like the beasts of Ephesus? There's 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 a lot of disagreement with certain verses in this chapter, and specifically 24, um, 29, uh, and this one, this isn't like there's not a lot of disagreement that I read on this. But something along the lines of Paul calling the Ephesians, because he was beaten, calling them beasts or being thrown into a place with beasts, like, like the gladiator type stuff, something along those lines. But either way, it wasn't fun. Whatever it was, it wasn't fun. And so he goes, hey, like, why do I do this if you can just baptize people and pull them into heaven? Why do I do this if Jesus has a backdoor? Why do I do this if there's purgatory? Why do we do this at all if there's no resurrection, you guys? He's trying to like keep belaboring and beating this dead horse, if you will, of, hey guys, you have to believe the simplicity of the gospel, which I gave you over and over again. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is pretty crystal clear uh, in the first few verses. These are life-threatening examples. Maybe there was a riot, who knows the exact, but the point is it wasn't fun in Ephesus for Paul. It was not. He says in verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company, you guys have heard this, corrupts good habits. It is so difficult to live the Christian life if your only set of friends hate Christianity, hate God, hate Jesus, hate everything that you're about. Now, if you're in prison, you can't do anything about it. And sometimes prison has these crazy revivals because the power of God is like it's it's captive, Right. You can't go anywhere. And so you see these guys survive and they're beaten like Paul or they're mocked like Paul or or whatever. And they somehow have this like anti-human response. And they're like, something is different about that guy. And I, there was a guy who used to come here for, uh, he came for a couple of weeks. Uh, He came to a yard sale and showed up for a couple of weeks. And he told me his story and he goes, dude, he goes, I was like a prison evangelist. And he goes, there was a, in one way, it was like way easier than my life outside of prison. He goes, there was so much structure. There was no outside influences. Yes, there was rough characters, but once I got saved and once I started this little Bible study, it turned into this huge thing and it turned into this, this crazy, like he had like a church in prison. And, and after he'd been out of prison for a few years, he said, life was much, much harder. Why? Because you have all these it's like the highway of life, right? You can take this freeway or that freeway, or you can go. To, you can move tomorrow to any state you want. You can go do so many things. But in prison, it's like you got to stay alive, and the only way you're going to do that is through through God. Like in his, that was his testimony. But evil company corrupts good habits. 
you can't be around and the church can't have all these evil people coming in, these, these people who believe antichrist stuff, satanic stuff, and they try to push it. And sometimes they push it like it's nuanced. It's, it's sort of like slid in there. It's not like we're satanic and we're going to take over your church. We're going to preach out of the satanic Bible next week. None of you would show if that happened. But it doesn't happen like that. It happens like, well, you know, I just want to like, I want to like enlighten you. God showed me this. And it's like, not God, a demon, but you can call it God. God showed me this, you know, and maybe this is really the, 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 what he really meant by that. And they twist it and they teach false doctrines. They, they teach heresy. And some Christians are so weak, they don't know what the Bible says. They go, that sounds good. That sounds like something I could believe. Lastly, he says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Church, wake up to righteousness. Righteousness is what the Holy Spirit wants for you. He convicts people of sin, but he wants you to live righteous. Stop sinning. This church had so much going on, so much wrong. Stop. For some don't even have the knowledge of God. You guys have it. You have my writings. You had my two years of being there, which you better believe somebody copied stuff down when Paul was preaching. But these, these, these extra questions, culture kind of came in and they're writing um, midway through this uh, book. They're writing and asking, hey, Paul, what should we do about this? What should we do about head coverings? What should we do about, you know, the world's kind of leaking in here a little bit. People are really divided. How do we keep people even here? Because they're so mad because this guy says this and this other teacher says this. Church, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Some do not have knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame because you do and you should know better. And this church, like I said, it was, it, was a, it was a big time mess, but it teaches us that even though a church starts with the greatest leader on the planet, I would argue that at that last supper, that was a church. That was a fellowship of the brethren in the body of Christ and not even 12 out of 12 stayed for God almighty. That should tell you the human heart is not only desperately wicked, it is so deceivable. It can be deceived so easily. Deception is crazy. We've, we've had that theme a lot, deceptions, and that's what 29 through 34 is about. A couple of thoughts. It matters what we believe. It also matters what we don't believe and vice versa. That guy I talked about believing that Christianity is true and also believing that Joseph Smith is a martyr. Martyrs are martyr. I mean, you can say, well, there's martyrs for other things too. Fox's book of martyrs, Joseph Smith's not in that book. Okay? He's not going to be in that book. He wasn't a martyr for Christ. He wasn't a martyr for Jesus Christ. What he was a martyr for were the things that he did, which he did horrible things. And so he was killed for it. He was lynched in my home state, by the way. Um, but it matters what we believe and it matters what we don't. But guys, the huge, the huge part in this, if we read, if we read this and we go, hey, What's Paul really talking about with company, with people, with other people that you hang out with? It matters who you associate with. Your friends can drag you down. Your friends can pull you more onto the narrow path. You're, if you hang out with people who this is their focus, I want to be sharper for Christ. I want to be better for Christ. If you hang out with them, you will have a pull toward the word of God. If you hang out with people who go, if you are ever going to say anything about that book, don't even hang out with me. 
well, I want to be friends with you. Okay, then don't ever talk about your faith, but they can talk about theirs. That's usually how it goes down. But I just want to remind us as we get in, there's one more kind of long section on this. The resurrection is the glorification of the body, that all of us have a body. You're not going to have the exact same body. Some people are really happy about that. Some people aren't very happy about that. You will not have the exact same earthly body. Jesus was glorified. It was displayed in the New Testament. There was a glorified body. He was transfigured and and post Uh, resurrection, he appeared to hundreds of people in a glorified body. Some didn't even notice it was him until they heard the word of God, until they heard his words. But there's a resurrection. There's not this reincarnation like that movie with Robin Williams, where we all just kind of go to this wonderful Disneyland type thing up there someplace, no matter how horrible we've been. It's, it's, that movie was so destructive in so many ways, because it's just opened up this universalism thing that's never really let up. But that that your soul, your spirit is individual to you, and God will use you as physical person. Your DNA will resurrect that. He doesn't need you to be intact. He doesn't need you to be, oh, well, if I cremate myself, you know, there's people who believe that too. You can't cremate yourself um, because God can't work with that. It's like, what did God make Adam out of? Just... I, I don't know. What did he make? Did he make Adam out of like, well, I have this dead corpse. I guess I'll breathe life into it. No, out of earth, out of sod, out of whatever we call it. We call it dirt. We came out of the elements. God breathed life into us and he will do it again. For those, the resurrection, um, there is a resurrection um, for, the con- for the condemned and that's a horrible one, but there is a resurrection for Christians, and that cannot be denied. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this, uh, this, this chapter. It's, uh, it's hard-hitting stuff. It's, uh, it's heavy. Um, but God, in a world where there's just so much um, froth and there's so much gray and there's so, much, there's so many things that are told to us as nuanced, um, God, your, your, your word is not that. Your word is so crystal clear when we read it in its context. God, change us for having heard this. Um, allow your spirit to continually remind us um, what it is that you want from us, um, how you want to use us in this life to be lights to this dark world. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.